M. Rossiano. What? Am I putting a googie egg at my juts? And Michael Lucas. It did seem like an extremely high risk, very low reward strategy. <laughs> this is M. Salation. Don't send me your thoughts and prayers. I don't give a shit about them. Don't send me your laughter and light. Don't send me anything. Send me gin and your Netflix password. You're in M. Salation. Hello, my darlings. Welcome to Emsolation. My name is M. Rossiano. I am the host and your spiritual guide for the next 50 or so minutes. Shortly, I'll be joined by my best friend since I was 11, screenwriter Michael Lucas. And look, together we discuss all sorts of things. All sorts of things. Things that take our fancy during the week. And there's no rhyme or reason. Please don't expect there to be, you know, definitive purpose and reasoning behind the things we choose. We just... We just kind of pick stuff that lights us up. This week, there's no pandemic talk. There's no lockdown talk. We need a rest. This week, we just talk about the Duchess of York, Sarah Ferguson, Fergie. Obviously, you know, I love her. She has written an erotic novel for Mills and Boone. And I'm sorry, if that is not the most exciting sentence you've heard this week, we talk about that. We talk about the House of Gucci, the father of the son, the House of Gucci, Gaga, obviously starring in that movie. I'm so excited. She's having a moment. She's having a moment. And I'm so happy for her. It's finally happening where the movie and the music and the cool and everything's combining. It's just, it's Gaga's time. Just like it's JLo's time. It's Gaga's time. It's not Matt Damon's time. Matt Damon's not having a great week. We talk about that. Oh God, we really do go everywhere. And a lot of Olympic talk. So much so Marcella, my daughter, social media captain and deputy thirst officer, she has done a sports report. She went off into my wardrobe and recorded it on her own. And as a tradition with this podcast, when people make contributions of an audio fashion, I don't listen until it's too late. I like to do those things. I've got to get my thrills where I can. If you're across it, we both have been bringing you our favourite athletes who have worked very hard on their bodies and we appreciate them for you as thirst officers. <laughs> That's been all happening over at our Emsolation podcast Instagram account. So I hope you're okay. I know if you're in New South Wales, it's a time. Queensland, it's everywhere. It's it's a time. And I just want to let you know that for the next just under an hour, I've got you. Michael and I, just let us take you away from your life. Whatever you need escaping from, whatever it is, work, home, I don't know, life in general. Let us do that for you. I'm going to take you in my well-moisturised hands because, look, I'm a woman of a certain age and all people want to give me is fucking hand cream for gifts. Suddenly everyone's very concerned about the state of my hands. So I'm going to gently caress you. Let us do that for you. My goodness, isn't it nice? I'm just saying to you what I want someone to say to me. Em, for the next hour, let me just take away all your cares and entertain you with ridiculousness. Before I go, I wanted to talk a little bit about where I am on my um, ADHD diagnosis journey. What a gross sentence, but it's true. Earlier this year, I was diagnosed with ADHD at the ripe old age of 42, and it's been a life-changing six months, I have to tell you, and I've spoken on and off about it, but I've been processing a lot of stuff over the last month and wanted to get right about it before I talked about it. And I was chatting in my DMs with a mother who was thinking about going down the route for her teenage daughter, was concerned what a diagnosis might mean and it might affect her self-esteem. And she was really concerned about what she should do. And what I said to her and what I want to say to all of you is I want to reassure you that for me, my ADHD diagnosis has been a life-changing event in a very positive way. 
I can't, I can't stress that enough for you. If you suspect you have ADHD or someone you love or know has it, don't be afraid of a diagnosis. And also in when you go down the path of diagnosis, you may find out other things about yourself. So if you have a cognitive assessment, also you learn about your learning styles, you may find out other things about yourself. And maybe you don't have it, but if you suspect you do, go and check it out. You owe it to yourself. You really do. You're totally worthy of that effort. And it is cruelly, the cruelest thing about getting an ADHD diagnosis is that it's a long, detailed, arduous process that you have to stick with and you have to answer questions and you have to turn up to things. And if you're someone with ADHD, following through on a task that is difficult or not particularly interesting to you is like torture. It is like walking through mud and snow and fog and it's hard to be accountable to yourself. And you, it's just, it's cruel. So I suggest that you assign yourself an ADHD diagnosis buddy. So this is what I want for you. If you have a friend, and I bet you do, who's very efficient, I have someone, I have many people in my life who are like this. I think I have subconsciously sought out very organized friends. <laughs> Bring in your most organized loved one and let them know that you're doing this and Ask them to keep you accountable for the process because it's tough. Have an ADHD diagnosis, buddy. It's the best bit of advice I can give you. And the other bit of advice I can give you is if you get one, if you get the diagnosis, welcome to the best day of your life. Congratulations. You're going to feel all the emotions, but ultimately you're going to be understanding yourself better. And I can't tell you that has been the greatest gift is I now get M. Rossiano. I now get me. For so long, I did all this weird shit. Like, I rode off three cars in the first six months of getting my license. I did all these weird, dangerous things. I got tattoos. I got piercings. I acted out. I snuck out. And now I understand why, because risk-taking behavior in search of dopamine, in search of entertainment for a brain that's constantly looking for things to consume and do, that's what happens. That's a symptom. That's what you do to yourself. And I didn't know that. So I just kind of ended up telling myself this story that I was a really bad person. I'm a rotten human. I'm a fraud. I'm, I've got this exterior of goodness, but actually to my, in my core, I'm a dark, twisted weirdo. And look, that's true, <laughs> but in a good way. And I also want to remind you that There's nothing wrong with you or your child if you are diagnosed with ADHD. There's no wrong or right. Neurotypical people aren't right and neurodiverse people aren't wrong. They're just two different ball games. It's like an apple and an orange. Neither of them are wrong. They're just different. And this world has been set up, society and its rules and it's, you know, the way you play the game has been set up for neurotypical people. So if you're neurodiverse like me, If you've got ADHD, if you're on the spectrum in any way, if your brain is wired differently, then life is going to be a bit tougher for you and sometimes a lot tougher. And I think when you can finally accept that you are a neurodiverse person living in a neurotypical world, I want to rework Material Girl now by Madonna. Write that down for a future show. (laughs) Because we are living in a neurotypical world and I'm a neurodiverse girl. I mean, I'll make it work. Yeah, some girls, I, oh my God, I can already think of the words. I want to go and do it right now. I'm going to go write it. I'm going to go write it. All right, I'm going to go. But I just want to say to you, the neurodiverse community is incredible. I've joined quite a few groups and I'm loving finding my people. They're my people and I'm proud of my people. I'm proud of my community and I accept who I am. And sometimes now I go into meetings. I had a big meeting with Spotify 
which went very well, by the way. And I just let people know, hey, can you write everything down you want me to do and send it to me? Just give me the information I need. If you see me looking away, say my name, because sometimes I just zone out. (laughs) So I now kind of announce, hey, I've ADHD, which all the Spotify guys know, but I've done this in a few meetings. I have ADHD. I find it hard to remember things. I find it hard to remember instructions. Could you please email the things you need me to remember straight after this meeting? So I'm getting better at making the world adapt to me rather than the other way around. Anyway, I'm in a good spot. I feel like as I wrote this week on Facebook, I always knew that I had a Ferrari brain, but I just didn't have the keys. And now I have the keys. So fucking vroom vroom, bitch. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. I had so much fun this week. We really did go a bit wild. But yeah, look, thank you for being here. I really love making this podcast so much. This week I'm wearing a leopard print turban, customised earrings from House of Dizzy, a leopard print top, leopard print leggings, and a red lip, a bold red lip. Just like to surprise and delight. My poor best friend, Michael Lucas, he's doing 12-hour days, frantically rewriting his show, Five Bedrooms, because they've lost the Sydney cast. So I like to surprise and delight him when the Skype camera comes on. So that's why I'm wearing this outfit. All right, that's enough from me. Play the music. M. Luciano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Michael Lucas, welcome. You've just said to me only two parts of the news reached you this week because you've been in a hole with work. What were the two things? Tom Daly, British diver, knitting a Union Jack pouch for his gold medal. And... The House of Gucci trailer had to come out. As far as I know, mm-hmm. looking up, that is what the algorithm has served me this week. <laughs> it knows you so well. It does. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. Synonymous with words. Style. Power. But that name was a curse too. Oh, I don't know where to start. Father, son, house of Gucci. Oh, I'm living with the dialogue. Only Gaga's, of course. Yes. But basically, every half hour in my house at the moment, my husband just says, time to take out the trash. It's time to take out the trash. And can I just say, there was was such a welling sense of anticipation. Our bins night is Sunday, and so we all knew it was coming the moment we could say that Gaga line and actually use it in context. And it was almost like a ceremony when he... Grabbed the willy bit and went, don't take up the trash. <laughs> I applaud your husband. <laughs> I have been walking around when my children ask me for anything saying, I don't consider myself an ethical person, <laughs> but I'm a fair one. I don't consider myself to be a particularly ethical person, but I am fair. <laughs> Now, I just want to state straight off the bat, I am so excited about the House of Gucci for so many reasons. So many. First of all, I own a lot of Gucci. It is my weakness in life. I was earning quite a bit of money when I did breakfast radio and I was very sad. So I did a lot of sad Gucci buying. There was a lot, there was a lot of drunk Gucci buying at the time. And so I have a wardrobe full of it. Obviously I'm Italian and obviously Gaga is starring in it. And I just want to say straight off the bat, 
Gaga is serving looks at the moment. She's leaving her apartment building in full, like, Givenchy Hocature. She's rocking out uh, Dolce & Gabbana, Gucci. And for no, like, reason, it's just her leaving the house. She left. She, she did a gig with uh, Tony Bennett the other night. He's, like, 91. Oh. And she came out in full. It was just for a 20-metre walk from Radio City Hall to her limo. Oh. Oh. And she had a purple... I saw oh. it. It was electrifying. 10 out of 10. She is that meme that went around that's been applied a few times where it's like the phrase is, I'm going to give the gays everything they want. She lives that. That's her That's her manifesto for oh. life. And she, and I think she's, just when you think she can't serve any more to that community, she unleashes that trailer oh. and that outfit and she's, she's next level. She's just... I love it. And she came out in like a black turban. I'm wearing a turban now, obviously, because she's inspired me just to pop a turban on with no explanation, no context, just because I fucking want to wear a turban. And it has this nice little facelift effect at the side of it's tight enough. <laughs> you can all see through space and time and in colour. But I just love that she's come out and she's just walking out front of her. She just walks out in front of her apartment in New York and where all the little monsters wait all the time. And instead of ignoring them now, she's just like, She's just become this ultimate diva of throwing, um, signing things cavalierly or like maybe posing for a photo, taking someone's phone and then chucking it back. Someone gave her flowers and she threw it into the little monsters like it was her wedding. Like I just, she's back. And she's combined, I'm so passionate. She's combined the best of Gaga. So she's obviously a great actress, but she's also a great diva. Totally. And she's found a film and a moment to finally converge the Stephanie Gemolotta and the Gaga personas into this one super Gaga Gemolotta. And... I feel like she's been regrouping over the pandemic and I feel like we'll come out of the pandemic and J-Lo is just the perfect, just general celebrity and Gaga is the perfect gay icon. And it's kind of like they needed the time out to look into themselves and think, how will I serve? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I just want to really assure everyone listening right now that if actual Italian people are going to fucking hate this movie. I want to warn you all. I want to state it as a fact. If you know an Italian, you already know our default setting is prove yourself to me. That's like neutral. Prove yourself to me is neutral. And so if you're presenting a film about the most precious house of Gucci to Italians without one single actual naturalised Italy-born actor... Well, at least she comes from an Italian family. She's got the wood over the other ones, right? Yeah, well, Al Pacino's in it. He's Italian. Okay. Jared Leto's in it. Leto, kind of, I'm assuming he's of Italian heritage because it's got a vowel at the end of it. I don't think Adam Driver is. Is he? Adam Driver certainly is not. Uh, Selma Hayek isn't either. (laughs) No. Someone's just gone... Can we just get some some of the ethnics in? What are some of the ethnics who's got kind of accents? <laughs> it's just like... And they're all doing Italian accents. And Gaga's, you did point out, sounds a, a smidge Russian. To me, it does. To me, she sounds like a James Bond villain, but I don't care. In fact, if anything, no. I support it. Same. <laughs> Father, son, house of Gucci. <laughs> Father, son and house of Gucci. I've already had a few of you slide into my DM saying my cousins in Italy are really mad. And I guess if you could liken it, if someone decided to do a, like a house of Kendone and they hired <laughs> a bunch of Americans to do Australian accents, we would be suitably outraged. So I get 
where the Italians are coming from, I don't care. I'll tell you what, I would be buying a ticket to that movie. If, <laughs> <laughs> if they have yeah, Jason so Sudeikis as Ken Doan in the 80s, I'm there. I am absolutely there. The House of Doan is the movie we deserve. And we need Jenny Key in there too, obviously. That's how they turn this into a franchise. We just need... <laughs> oh, my God, Jenny Key. Oh, my God. That's okay. Jenny Key. Now, you know, it was the height. Like, those Jenny Key for Coogee jumpers were insanely expensive. I used to steal my mum's with the giant woolen sheep all the time. You know this. I wore it to John Farnham. So <laughs> we get a house of key. She lives in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. I know this because a fan of mine knows I'm a fan of hers. She's like, Jenny Key came into my shop today. I'm in the Blue Mountains. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> So, very excited about House of Gucci. I'm just excited about archived Gucci outfits. The costuming for me is more, I don't care so much about the storyline. This is a true art film for me. I could watch it on mute. <laughs> what have you heard about, like, as a movie person and a writer? No, you- I heard about the, no, I don't, I don't know anything about it. I mean, they've just finished shooting it. This is a very advanced trailer. Mm-hmm. It's directed by Ridley Scott, who has obviously made some of my most absolute favourite films, Thelma and Louise, Alien. But I think it's fair to say he hasn't been on the greatest run of late, but it's, he's been hit and miss. Who knows? I'm very, I feel like Adam Driver has high standards. It feels like he doesn't attach himself to things that aren't pretty great. Well, <laughs> I will interject with a recent ad he shot for Burberry's new fragrance, Hero, where he, I think, became a horse. And I'm still not sure if in this ad... Where first he races a horse, then he swims with the horse, and then a bit of swirly, swirly, and then the final shot is I, we think he's become the horse. But does that mean he, like, did he hook up with the horse and now I think I want to hook up with the horse? Like, the, this Burberry ad has really stirred some stuff for me. <laughs> when I saw that ad, I mean, if it, only the fact that it was so perfectly executed, I would have thought it was some sort of fan video that you had put together. It seemed <laughs> to combine so many fantasies that you might have. I mean, you've expressed... Yeah, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to say you tread into bestiality, but you've shown a little shine towards Mufasa in the past, and oh. you love Adam Driver, and you love the water horse from Frozen Two, and it's like this this cam, this this company has developed an ad campaign to just sort of fuse everything <laughs> together, especially for you. It's so true. It's just missing RuPaul just walking in, going and don't. Fuck it up. Like, really, that's all I need. That's a beautiful cross-section of my interests. Yeah, so you're right. He has very high standards and he does do great films. So, look, I'm hopeful. She is obviously going for the Oscar. This is an Oscar role, right? Oh, yeah, please. She's she's playing. I mean, isn't it someone she's conspiring to murder? Isn't that the whole story? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, she, it's an absolute... And, you know, when Cher went at Super Italian, Cher got her Oscar and Gaga knows her Cher history. <laughs> <laughs> All right, father, son and house, house of, of Gucci. Gucci. We wait to see. Look, I'm, ba- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it best screenplay based on the two lines that we know. <laughs> oh, so, 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 so good. I can't wait. Every line she speaks is going to be iconic. The gays, the memes won't be able to come out fast enough. Someone's no. head's going to explode. I can't wait. <laughs> now, of course, obviously the Olympics is on at the moment. As you did mention, you're across uh, the Olympic gold medalist from the UK, Tom Daly, on his fifth Olympics. That guy has been around for so long. He's actually the perfect human. Married, has a child. His husband is 
ridiculously handsome. He's been crocheting outfits. His husband is an Oscar-winning screenwriter as well, oh. which is, yeah. Yes. God, it's just like you and Adrian. It's exactly the same. <laughs> Neither of us knows how to crochet. <laughs> or win gold medals at the Olympics, it would appear. He's everyone's favourite. He's also been sitting in the stands a crocheting too while he watches events. Mm-hmm. I just am living for him. And also just the message that it sent to young gay men everywhere and queer, the queer community, having his husband, like, it's just... And his body, his abs, not that that's as important, but my God. (laughs) (laughs) So the Olympics have totally taken... Have you been watching any of it, considering you're in a work hole? I I actually... I am in a work hole, and often it's not till, like, quite late at night that I finally curl up in front of the TV. And I am finding the Olympics the perfect thing to kind of just Mm -hmm. tune out. But I'm amazed. I'm also, because I'm working so much and I'm not sleeping, that I am very, like quick to emotion <laughs> and I'm finding it just just I'm really feeling things I'm I'm absolutely feeling things like I can't I'll see some sort of absolutely stony-faced Chinese diver not quite do it perfectly and I'll be in tears I mean yeah, I'm the same I think everyone in the world echoes this sentiment yeah I think all of us have needed something to believe in. And every athlete appears to have this incredible backstory. Like, we're not just talking, oh, they had a few injuries leading in. We're talking parents died before trials, houses oh, yeah. burnt down, grew up grew up in abject poverty and couldn't afford runners and coaches paid for things and jail top. Like, it's been... Every athlete seems to have a story. Look, to be honest, it doesn't take much. Like, it would be like, oh, and um, the sprinter from Canada lost their dog for 24 hours. I would (laughs) be on the ground. I'm the same. And I think all of us have been waiting for something just wholesome to sink out into that we can't, you know, that won't be problematic. There's been no problematic winners thus far of the Olympics. Wow, we've got a lot of sprinting to go, and that's normally where they pop out. And I just want to say... While I'm very happy that our Italian man won the men's 100 metre final, I just want to point out that this man has come from nowhere. He has won no international sprint meets in his career, is a renowned long jumper, and then all of a sudden came out from nowhere and won the men's 100 metre final, arguably the most contested and glamorous race, usually dominated by men of African descent. To be honest, I've never seen a white man run under 10. And there he was. What are you suggesting, him? Nothing. I'm just saying I am interested in his training techniques. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, do you more enjoy, because as a former hurdler, do you more enjoy the first week or the second week? Because I tend to love the swimming and then drop off a little bit in the second week. But <gasps> do you go the other way? No, I barely, I watch some of the swimming. I mean, obviously Caleb Dressel caught my attention from the US, but I watch some of the swimming, but no, it's all about the athletics for me. Like, yeah, you've got right. to remember, I had all the Olympic records and world records written and stuck on my wall and on my roof as a kid. Like, they were my goals. I used to say the records in my head before I would start a race. Wow. Like, I, I knew all the qualifiers. I knew the A and B qualifiers for Italy as well as Australia in case I wanted to go over there because their standards were a little bit lower back in the day. But no. <laughs> he used to say the record. 
Yeah, what, you used to like, before when you were lining up, you used yes. to like, just like chant the numbers in your head. Yep, Flojo. Oh <gasps> my God. Yeah, yeah. I knew all Flojo's records by heart, which still stand. <laughs> Flash forward 20 years and now it's like all that's going through your head is, I am not an ethical person, but I am fair. <laughs> Father of son, house of Gucci. Correct. <laughs> that's evolution. That's all I can remember at the moment. Now, look, Marcella obviously has been taking it in. She's a very good athlete and she offered to do an Olympic report for us. So now... Uh, we're going to cross to Marcella, who's going to give us her Olympic wrap-up, and then we'll come back and we'll be discussing, I don't know, erotic fiction or Matt Damon or maybe both. <laughs> Take it away, Marcella. Yeah, we love sport. 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 Sweat. Oh my God. Hi guys. Yes, it is me, Deputy First Officer and sports reporter extraordinaire. Your words, not mine. I'm coming to you live from mum's wardrobe, super sporty. I can actually see quite a few pairs of runners. Most of them do have sparkles on them or leopard print or both, hashtag on brand. But yay, sports. Most of this chat is going to be about the athletics because that is what we love most in this household. But before we go there, I would of course like to give a special mention to the one and only all-American heartthrob, Mr. Caleb Dressel. If you are unaware of who he is, educate yourself. Five gold medals, two world records, two Olympic records, and most importantly, captain of the Thirst Squad, most wanted by our Thirst officers. Thank you, Caleb, for being both a delight to watch in and out of the water. I thought I hated swimming, and then you rounded the corner, and suddenly... Everything changed. Okay, so now on to the athletics. So the last couple days have been epic. So I'm going to hit you with some of my favourite moments. There have been so many. Number one, women's triple jump. Julima Rojas, I may butcher this pronunciation. She is from Venezuela and she set the new world record of 15 metres and 67 centimetres, beating the original one prior to her that was set in 1995. She beat it by 17 centimetres and she is the first ever Venezuelan woman to win gold. Epic. In her first ever triple jump competition, she just, no training, She broke the national record, so a legend among legends. And then the same night, the men's high jump, I was sweating. A special shout out to our amazing Aussie jumper, Brandon Stark. Finished fifth overall with a jump of 235, and that would have actually landed him a medal in any other Olympics. The standard was very high. But of course, back to our two main men, Italy's, oh God, Junmarco Tamberi and uh, Mutaz Esapashim. I'm sorry for my pronunciation. I think that was okay. Um, he is from Qatar. Tamberi had broken his ankle, which should force him out of the Rio Games. So we actually saw that he had his cast and that was his high jump marker and he had written Road to Tokyo on it. So it was amazing. And Basham had also struggled with many injuries leading up to the game. But yeah, they were offered the jump off and Basham said to the official, can we have two golds? The official was like, yeah, that's a possibility. And oh, it was so beautiful. You've got to go. If you haven't seen it, go watch the reaction. It was incredible. And then when you think it can't get any better, Italian 100-metre sprinter, whose Insta handle is Crazy Long Jumper, he is also a part of the Thirst Squad, ladies and gentlemen, and anyone else in between, Lamont Marcel Jacobs. 
He wins the 100 metres and he comes sprinting through just as Tamberi has won his gold. And they have this massive hug. Oh, again, go look it up. It's so beautiful. But yeah, this shared gold, there hasn't been a shared gold. I think, I may have to correct myself on the socials, but I think this is the first one in 109 years. So amazing. Number three... Sifan Hassan. She's a runner from the Netherlands. She stacked it in her 1500 meter heat. She gets up and she won her heat moving from last to first position in the final lap. It was epic. And then the same day she rolls up to the five kilometers and wins gold. And this is the first gold for the Netherlands since 1992 in athletics. Go watch that footage too and look out for her in the 1500 meter semis and finals. Very exciting. I got sports, yay. And today, finally, the men's 400 meter final. Now from personal experience, I can tell you that this is, excuse my French, a motherfucker of an event. It is so tough. It is so hard. And Kasten Warholm, from Norway, won the event, broke the world record, and he ran a time of 45.94, which is, for those of you who aren't familiar with athletics, that 46 barrier for men is so tough. So this was an epic run, and that time would actually be competitive in many 400-metre flat races. So those hurdles mean nothing to him. Kevin Young held the record previously, 29 years. Uh, Warholm has broke it twice this year, so amazing. So exciting. But yeah, that is it from me for now. Thank you for listening. I pretty much just spat facts about athletics because it's so exciting. I hope you enjoyed. Keep watching. We've got the 200 meter finals, 400 meter finals, javelin, so many. Go look it up. Anyway, thank you, thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, we love sport. Yeah, we love sport. Sweat balls. This is Emsolation. And we're back. So, Michael, I have a theory that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck can't both be up in life. Like, if a Damon is up and Affleck is down, and mm-hmm. if an Affleck is up, oh no, which he is, a Damon is down, and he is down at the moment. I liked how sort of solemn you sounded when you expressed that theory. It was not unlike Mufasa explaining the circle of life. Every, all of us are connected. Yeah, <laughs> the delicate balance. But what happened, what happened in 1997 when they both won the Oscar at the same time? Well, that's what upset the universe. Okay, something was smited. Yeah, since that Oscar has been won. I think it was 98 actually, or maybe even 99. Uh, Chella will fact check it. It's their favourite thing now, just to point out where we made mistakes and put it on the Instagram. Do you know, after that win, that's when George Bush got in. I'm not connecting them, but maybe that was the problem. <laughs> so, obviously, Ben Affleck's in the middle of some kind of resurgence, which thanks to his relationship to Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. But Matt Damon is facing huge backlash for, look, he did an interview with the Sunday Times and for some reason offered up the information that no one asked for, that he used the F slur for the homophobic term, starting with F for gay men, and at the dinner table, which he then upset his daughter, who went off and wrote a treatise regarding why you shouldn't use the F slur. And a treatise, for those of you who don't remember Year 12 English, is basically a written opinion or a statement, a side of a debate, passionately expressed. 
And so she did this and brought it back to the table and he said, you know, now I know that we we don't use the F slur. Mm. To which everyone responded, you fucking what, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sort of sounds like similar family dynamic to clearly what's happening in Scott Morrison's house. <laughs> Dad just wanders around <laughs> saying unbelievably <laughs> stupid things. <laughs> Ladies offer some advice. Yeah. So he kind of expected everyone, I think, to be like, oh, Great. You've done a good job as a dad. Yeah. Maybe that's what he thought. Maybe that was the message. I think he was more, yeah, looking to big up his kid. But what he did was just kind of re- release to the What an own goal. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that in 2021, he still kind of was throwing that language around. Now, he's come back out after the backlash and said, no, 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 no. It's not a word I throw around willy-nilly. I was just saying that it was in a movie that I was in and it was a word that I used as a kid and she then educated me as to why we don't use it now. And everyone's still like... Yeah, it doesn't quite add up, does it? I, I came in at that statement and so I was a bit confused, but yeah, there was something about it that didn't quite make sense. Hang on a second. What? Why? She, you, she, you must have been presenting mm. that word mm. in a way that triggered her. Like, obviously, if you were presenting it in a way that had some awareness mm. that it was wrong to say, then she wouldn't have written what she wrote. So mm. Matt Damon's been a bit on the nose for me. He's had a few missteps. I think he's lazy when it comes to... The modern day things, the, the wanting to be not woke, but but better. I don't think Matt Damon is too concerned. He's just kind of slid into daggy dad territory. Don't you think? Yeah. I, his peak coolness for me when he was in that Sarah Silverman clip. Remember that clip that she did? Remember the I'm fucking Matt Damon clip? Oh, oh my God. I'm fucking Matt Damon. I'm Matt Damon. She's Matt Damon. That was for me the peak of Matt Damon when he had the most cred. But then it is true. I mean, it must. They were so successful so young, those two. Mm. Like early 20s, just absolute top of Hollywood, winning Oscars and uh, most bankable stars. I mean, imagine, imagine being a good looking, fit white dude in the 90s. Killed at it. that sort of peak. I mean, how could they emerge with everything in order? I mean... No, no. And clearly they haven't quite. So, I mean, yeah, he just... I don't know. But look, as the pendulum swings, Affleck on the rise, Damon on the fall. And, you know, Ben Affleck better just make hay because I don't think Damon will be down for long and that will, you know, possibly mean something bad for Ben. So no, da- isn't Damon... Damon's joining the Marvel Universe, so he'll come up oh, with that. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Someone who is on the up and up, the pendulum swung in her favour, is Fergie. Fergie Ferg. (laughs) My favourite. Not Black Eyed Peas Fergie, we just might add. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, the original and the best Fergie, Sarah Ferguson, (laughs) former. M's favourite living royal. She's my favourite living royal. I mean, I make no bones about it. She's the best. And can you imagine when I read the headline, Fergie's debut Mills and Boone romance novel to be released? I can't even imagine how fast you started investigating how to purchase that particular piece of literature. It's called Her Heart for a Compass. Yes, Now, Mills and Boone for me is quintessential 80s mum parenting. My mum, Jenny, used to disappear into the bath with a Mills and Boone and a cup of 
She used to mix sugar and butter together, whip it up, put it in like a plastic movie cup with a fork, take a Mills and Boone and go sit in the bath. That was what my mother did. Jesus, that is just raw <laughs> decadence, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Sugar and butter mixed Whipped up together. In a, in a movie cup with a fork and she'd take her Mills and Boone in. And, like, my mum is... Extremely intelligent, very well read, loves all literature, but her, like, guilty pleasure is Mills and Boone. And we had shelves of them. And when I learned to read, I picked, I remember picking one up, like, just wanting to know what my mother was consuming. And I remember, (laughs) (laughs) I read about pulsing members and fleshy mounds. It was like, what? This woman, my, no, up until then, like, I'd sit with mum and I'd watch TV like Hill Street Blues and Moonlighting and Cheers and I just thought mm. that was what she was into. I didn't really know that she had a saucy side. And now, obviously, as a middle-aged woman, I get it. So the fact that Fergie's written for Mills and Boone is just, oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. So exciting. <laughs> I can't believe this has happened in the same week as the Car Guy Gucci trailer and Adam Driver fusing into a horse. I mean, what is happening? It's just like it's content to palooza for Em and Michael. It's just been so much. <laughs> but basically, the novel's heroine, Lady Margaret Montague Douglas Scott, she is a red-headed... <laughs> Of course she is. With freckles and rebellious curls, royal, and she, to her detriment, is too anxious to please and is often criticised for talking too much. She flees royal life to start her own life in America. And, like, of course, this has got nothing to do with Fergie's life. <laughs> nothing. It's all speculative. So speculative. But, sadly, I did do a deep dive and there's no sex in the book. Oh, what's the That point? is really disappointing. She could have broken new ground. Wait, I want to, I desperately want the audio book where Fergie is describing someone having oh. their bodice ripped off. I want... Fergie's voice describing a bodice being ripped off. I want erect nipples being thumbed by his strong, muscular hands. I want all of that in her voice. Oh, and frankly, come on. If she doesn't write in toe-sucking, and I know that she says technically it was a kiss of the toe, not a suck, I don't care. That is the equivalent of... Of going to a Madonna concert and she doesn't sing Vogue. I mean, that is, that's her signature. So true. That is her legacy to this world. She was the first royal to be photographed getting their toes sucked. And you're writing erotic fiction. You're writing Mills and Boone. Come on. (laughs) All right. Know your audience. We're both writers in different ways. How would you write the toe sucking in a romance novel way? What would you do? I mean, well, you'd begin, you'd obviously begin the sex sequence with that. And you would sort of, would all, all, you know, it would be about, you know, his pursed lips caressing (laughs) the side of her toe Mm. and then slowly his tongue emerged. Mm. What he was giving her was more than just (laughs) foot pleasure. Mm. It was a preview of what was to come. And as he worked his way around beyond the toes, up the ankle, he went further and further and further. There you go. That's that's and you, obviously it would keep going. I'm not going to continue because I'm gay and I've forgotten how the rest of it goes. <laughs> I would be more like, hang on, I got to get close to the mic. Oh, oh, she you're doing erotic voice. 
She lay there in the sun, her skin glistening with the oil that he'd just applied lovingly, with his strong, muscular hands that looked like they could murder a bear or possibly grab her by (laughs) her shoulders in an erotic embrace. He gets down on one knee. (gasps) It's not a proposal, not a spoken one anyway. He leans down (laughs) and he gently flicks his tongue across each toe, gently spittling them across the top. And then he takes and devours her largest toe. He sucks on it, looks her in the eyes to say, this is what I want you to do later, this exact method. Please don't squeeze my balls too hard. And no teeth, no teeth were harmed in the toe sucking. (laughs) It was a promise and a lesson. Anyway, you're right. I mean, we could basically do a whole chapter on this. We could, like, it, it, she needs to do it, Fergie, if you can hear us. No sex as well. And I'm sorry, but if you are writing a redhead runaway princess yeah. as your as a duchess or whatever it is as your lead, oh. the whole point of, you know, a redhead has a specific place in a Mills and Boone and it's because of the colour descriptions that come when describing the pubic hair. And if she isn't delivered on that either. Her crotch... A flame burning <laughs> as the colour of the shiny mound indicated not only fire in colour, but fire with passion. <laughs> like a phoenix rising from the ashes. <laughs> what I love best. <laughs> he entered her like a scepter. <laughs> <laughs> In St. Paul's Cathedral. (laughs) Actually, they got married at Westminster Abbey, sorry. And he knighted her with his strong (laughs) cock. I so... Can you imagine someone knighting you with their penis? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, I've seen Sex Life, and yes, now that I've seen that, I could imagine that happening. (laughs) And I just say you'd want to make sure it didn't come too down hard on your shoulders because that's dislocation central there. Anyway. Wow. I forgot what I was... Oh, my favourite part about all of this is that Fergie only gave one interview. Everyone wanted her, but she would only give it to town and country. <laughs> and the photos are amazing. She's dressed like a, like a sexy, stylish dressage Dominatrix is the only way. Oh, of course. Yeah, she looks amazing. So we're very excited about that. But I, I really do love erotica, but it's hard to find good erotica. But I read good erotica, which I don't really talk to you about because a lot of it's heteroerotica. But I just wanted to let everyone know who's in lockdown, I've, if, I've got a thirsty book list for you. So I've got some recommendations for, like, really good erotica, like lots of sex. You don't have to wait. It's not like one thing on the second last page. It's just, like, a lot of sex. So first of all, there's this, this book is wild and bonkers. It's called Wetlands by Charlotte Roche, okay? Now... It's like, it's about a young woman's... Are you ready for what Wetlands is about? This book is going to go through. Yeah, go. I just want to warn you, it's weird, okay? (laughs) You're going to die when you hear what it's about. It's about a young woman's stay in a hospital where she's being treated for an anal fissure. (laughs) Sexy. (laughs) 
Look, are you sure this is straight yeah. fiction? Because hearing that description, I'm questioning. It's straight fiction. I can certainly imagine a gay adaptation. And it's a fiction <laughs> of the human body cleanliness and sex, basically. But it's wild. So it's called Wetlands. Don't get the audio book, maybe. Maybe just read it in your spare time in the bathtub. Make yourself some butter and sugar in a movie cup and lock the door. Find your own wetlands yeah. and then enjoy. <laughs> Wetlands. Now, another one that's great is called The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. And basically it's about a girl named Stella. She's on the autism spectrum and she wants to get better at kind of sex and physical stuff so she can find a husband because her parents really wanted to settle down. So she hires escort Michael Fan, a Vietnamese and Swedish sex god who agrees to help her out. And you can imagine. Sparks fly. <gasps> it's really good. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing better than the construction where someone's there in some sort of business arrangement, but then it starts to... I mean, that's essentially Pretty Woman. I mean, that's 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 a classic. Yeah, yeah, totally. And Call Me By Your Name for gay erotic novels, it's beautifully written. Oh, and we used to love the Army Hammer spoken oh, word version, but now it'd be weird. That. that was amazing, though. Before he was problematic, that was great. <laughs> By uh, by and- Andre Asiman, I think Asiman. Mm-hmm. Sequel's coming apparently, or maybe it's out. Asiman. <laughs> He's straight, that dude. He's straight, Is the he? guy. Yeah, that's right. So are you. Yeah, that's a beautiful book. <laughs> Call me by your name. And for our lesbian listeners, I know we have quite a few. I've been told this is number one. This is the best. This is the sauciest. It's called The Night Off, Michael. Not The Night no, Off, the n- which was the HBO <laughs> murder mystery miniseries. The Night Off. Uh, first, we meet Emily. She has a busy life. Uh, she was raised by drug-addled parents. She's used to taking care of people to the exclusion of her own needs. She's had it. After years of celibacy, she's ready to pay for exactly what she wants, to surrender control by having it taken away. So she hires Nat a high-priced escort, and she's damn good at her job. She's dangerously sexy, and she knows how to precisely fulfil the fantasies of women. And when their night of intense play (laughs) turns into something and more, Emily and Nat can't help but pursue a connection in the real world. Unfortunately, old habits die hard, and love isn't always enough. Oh, what a sell. I'm in. I'm in, basically. So there you go. The Night Off. Well done. What a, what a Lesbian selection. Lesbian erotic fiction, The Night Off, uh, for our uh, homosexual male listeners or anyone. I mean, I'm turned on by all of these books. I do love how you preface this by saying I read erotic fiction. I don't talk about it with you much because it's hetero. As though if it were gay, we'd be swapping books left, That's right true. and centre. You don't really read erotic fiction. I need to start an erotic fiction book club, I think. You're just taking your role as thirst officer and it's just becoming a multimedia thing now. It's stretched beyond the Olympics. In fact, it basically, that's your show pitch. It should just be you as a curator of Hot. just content that's going to turn your crank. Well, the thing is, right, and I just want to I just want to make a general announcement. Women over 35 are horny. I don't want you to think our vaginas and our sex drives die and dry up once we reach a certain age. If anything, they go into overdrive. If anything, we want it more. I know that. I follow Madonna on Instagram, for Christ's sake. I know it's all happening. No one is thirstier than a mother who's been stuck at home in lockdown with her children for God knows we are thirsty we are horny we are frustrated we are exhausted so we don't want to do it we want to watch it and look at it 
Okay? <laughs> Don't do it to me. Do it at me. I've had such an outpouring of just hormones. And also middle-aged men too, gay men especially, have contacted me thanking me for doing a service. And we have deliberately been exploiting men. Don't have a go at my 19-year-old daughter for only exploiting men. That's the joke. We are (laughs) highlighting the skill and expertise and strength of the women and objectifying the men because guess what normally happens, dickheads? (laughs) People have been having a go at Chella and I'm like, first of all, fuck off. Second of all, I'll track you down, fuck off. And third of all, <laughs> I will objectify men, she will objectify men, because why? Because when a woman makes a comment about how hot a guy is, that guy is then not afraid to walk back to his car. Mm. That is why it's okay. And on that note... <laughs> <laughs> the first officer rests. <laughs> all right. You guys know you're exhausted. Oh, my God. Liam has so many videos to make. Fergie toe-sucking reenactment. <laughs> my announcement that all women are horny. Like, let's do it. What an episode. Oh, Roy Boy's whinging. Come here. Oh. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. This is Emsolation. All right, legends. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was fun. <laughs> I think you're just never going to look at Fergie the same way again. Hey, I just wanted to remind all our Melbourne emsolators that we are going to be appearing live at the Great Australian Podcast Festival happening at the Palais Theatre in November. Go and get your tickets. It's a chance for you to support the podcast, see us live, see Michael, see me, see Chella. Giggling Ben will be there. I'll make Vincey come. I'm definitely going to sing a song. I'm not going to have the Palais stage and not sing a song to you. You know that. So get your tickets at livenation.com. We really would love to see you there. I'd just love to see you all there in your hoodies and your T-shirts. I just want to see the Emsolators in, in a group. The Facebook group, I know people there have been buying tickets for other people in the Facebook group, which is legendary. The, the Emsolation Facebook group is incredible. Incredible community of humans. And when I saw that you were each buying, all of you were buying an extra ticket and then saying, hey, does anyone want to come with me? I'll shout you. The shouting of tickets has been life affirming. So great. So we'd love to see you there. LiveNation.com for tickets. And that's all. That's all I have for you. Thank you so, so much. Bye for now. Emsolation with M. Rossiano is a Spotify exclusive podcast hosted by M. Rossiano with Michael Lucas. Executive Produced by Benjamin Wosley. Produced by M. Rossiano. Edited by Mark Devilla. With videos by Liam O'Brien. Socials by Marcella Rossiano Barrow. With assistance from Jim Evans and Georgia Watts. And occasional technical trickery and wizardry from M's dad Vinci. Get more from M. Salation with M. Rossiano by following M. Salation Podcast on Instagram. You can also join our secret club by joining our Facebook group at M. Salation. And Make sure you're following us on the Spotify app. We, of course, hope you enjoyed this week's episode and we'll chat with you again soon.